Ajunalambito bujo Kanagavodato Sankitanai Kapituro Kamalaya Taksho Vishwamboro Dvijaboro Yugodharma Palo Pande Jagat Priya Koro Karuna Bhutaro E Krishna Karuna Sindo Dinabando Jagatpate Gopisha Gopika Kantarara Kantan Mostude Tapta Kanchan Gaurangi Radhe Brindabhanishpuri Prashabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Nama Chintamani Krishnas Chaitanya Rasa Vigraha Purna Shuddha Nitya Muktam Vinatvang Nama Namino Sri Gauri Vaishnav Guru Parampara Ki Jai Harinam Prabhu Ki Jai Good morning Welcome Last night I mentioned that Sri Krishna was given his uh, flute, bamboo flute by Shiva Mahadev another name for Shiva and the occasion on which this took place is of interest to us because in order to embark upon and proceed and arrive uh, at uh, on the path and arrive at the, the goal, the ideal, some faith is required. Hmm. Faith is actually the uh, the carrier, if you will. So I'd like to talk a little bit about faith and what it means in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, in our tradition. And so this story has some significance. Krishna was given the flute by Shiva. After he, he was given many other things also by other gods. And, and um, this all took place at a particular time in his uh, Leela. Leela means divine play. It was in the, the village of Brindavan that um, is, uh, its livelihood is dependent upon the cows. And so cows depend upon grass, and grass depends upon rain. So there was a, a custom of worshipping Indra, who is the god of heaven who provides rain. And while his parents were preparing for this sacrifice to appease the rain god with a view to get good grasses, rains and good grasses to nourish the cows and so forth, Krishna took objection to this. While this, there's nothing wrong with it in one sense, he wanted to establish that in this place, in Vrindavan, which is my place, my home, the, it should be clear, at least to the general public, if not to all of the inhabitants who are in love with me and who have 
for the sake of that love, have forgotten that I'm God, so that there can be intimacy. For the sake of the rest of the world, that they may know my position, and then have the, um, uh, with that understanding, what is necessary to themselves proceed spiritually in such a way to arrive at that same destination, to live in Vrindavan, in the abode of Krishna, in his Leela. For that sake, this um, he took objection to this worship of Indra for the sake of rain. And it wasn't hard for him to convince his father and the other inhabitants to forego the sacrifice. He suggested something else in its stead, which was tantamount to worshipping himself. And, of course, as they proceeded, Indra took objection. Krishna is difficult to understand. It is said, Muyanti Yatsurayaha. Even the gods are bewildered about who Krishna is. After all, simply cowherding, playing the flute, dancing with milkmaidens. How can this be the supreme God? Someone may question. God is all-powerful. And Krishna seems, as we discussed last night, to some, some extent subjugated by the love of Radha. He has intimate friends who may defeat him in wrestling, in play. How can this be the Supreme God? But we should think, consider, if we look at all the, all the descriptions of God and the goddesses in, in all the different religions, for that matter, and how they are depicted, and then we look at Krishna, we may get some clue. It takes power to play. If you have power, if you have some money in the bank, then you can play. You can take time off. You can have the freedom to do as you like. It takes some power, some position, to be able to do whatever you want, whenever you want. So the underground, what underlies the Leela of Krishna, which is which is an expression of the very heart of divinity, where divinity, the absolute, is doing whatever it wants, whenever it wants, whimsically. We want to do that. We want to do whatever we want, whenever we want. We're supposed to grow up and find out that's not possible. You have to be realistic and, uh, and so forth. But actually there's a way to realize that, uh, that sense that we have in, 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 in childhood and youth. We should be able to do whatever we want, whenever we want. And the way to realize that is to, is to connect ourselves with the one who does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, to make our will one with his will, something like that. Then we have real freedom and real power. So amongst all the gods and goddesses and all conceptions of God that have been uh, given to human society. This conception of Krishna, if we look carefully, we see he's depicted by mystics in their heart's eye, and then it manifests in art and poetry and literature and so forth. This experience 
of the heart of divinity has been depicted as simply playful. At a glance, you may wonder, how can that be the all-powerful God? But again, in order to play, one has to have power. So all power underlies that leela of play, all gan, all knowledge. Knowledge is a kind of power. And they said in many universities, knowledge will set you free. So underlying freedom is the power of knowledge. But if freedom reaches its fullest expression, freedom, love, play, it will suppress the knowledge in such a way that it appears to be absent for the sake of that freedom. Just like, for example, in a very powerful country that has a very powerful military, then the military will be hidden. You won't see military bases everywhere. You won't see rockets being paraded in the streets and so forth. All this power. Because it will get in the way, really, of the freedom of the people. They'll just be a little bit intimidated by that. Better to have it to preserve the freedom. I mean, this is just an analogy, of course. To preserve the freedom, but keep it a little out of the way. We don't have to look at it all the time. But if there's any danger that should come, then it can come out. Something like that. So, there are souls who live in that realm of Krishna, who dwell there in their heart of hearts. Sometimes they come here. They appear here. Here there's a need for knowledge, because it's a land of ignorance and doubt. So simple village girls, milkmaidens, cowherd uh, friends of Krishna, if souls in that realm, in that uh, kind of uh, identity, participating there, should come here, oh, they have so much knowledge. But there it's not required, it's suppressed by love. But it's there. It underlies that. So, if we study carefully about Krishna, objectively, we can go. We can choose whatever we like in our spiritual pursuit. That is fine. But if we were to take some yardstick of objectivity, there's good reason to lay emphasis on Krishna. Simply playing. The implication is all-powerful. But it, but you have to think about it to see it. You understand? You have to think about it a little bit. So Krishna is not so easy to understand. A little difficult. It said again, as I mentioned, muyanti atsura. Even the gods and goddesses sometimes wonder. So Indra took objection to Krishna's convincing the inhabitants of Vrindavan to forego the yagya, the sacrifice, in honor of Indra for rain. And so he sent rain but not the kind of rain that will nourish the grasses, the kind that will, would, would, would cause a flood and wipe out the whole village. He became angry. These were cowards, people. He thought, I will send so much rain. They should have worshipped me for rain for their cows to get grass so that they could be maintained. I'm their maintainer. Instead, they've foregone that. I will send so much rain that the cows are washed away in a flood. So he did. And then Krishna came to the rescue of everyone. He had engaged them in, in 
worshiping a, uh, uh, a mountain. It sounds like rather animistic or kind of very simplistic uh, theological idea, worship of nature. And he said, when we get this mountain gives a lot of grasses, and the cows graze on the grasses, so we should worship the mountain. It provides so many nice things for the livelihood of our cows and thereby our livelihood and so on. And so he engaged him in this worship of Govardhan. The name of the hill was Go, means cow, Vardhana, that, it, that increases, that, that supplies, that uh, nourishes the cows. So they worshiped the hill and Indra sent the rain. And Krishna lifted the hill like an umbrella with his little finger on his, his uh, left hand and all the inhabitants and cows and everything went underneath the hill and uh, no one got even a drop of rain on them Indra was astonished what's going on down there he sent some lightning and thunder and more clouds and and some of his representatives to give him a report. They said, hasn't he, even a, no one has even felt a drop of rain. The hill is lifted up like it had wings or something like that, and everyone's underneath. So he threw lightning on the hill and so forth. No change. Meanwhile, all of Krishna's friends, they have sticks to help for herding cows. They're lifting up the hill like this. Actually, Krishna's holding it. But they don't think that Krishna can hold it. They think Krishna is our friend, like us. How can he hold a hill? It's not possible. The fact that he has all power, that he's God, to them has been obscured for the sake of that relationship. So they're, they're sticking their sticks up, thinking we're helping him hold the hill. <laughs> he's got his finger like this, holding it. Instead of like this, because by closing these fingers like this, he could glance over and see the face of Radha, hmm? energizing him. But no one else could tell that he was looking at her. In this way, Indra's efforts were frustrated, and he started to rethink. The gods, sometimes they become intoxicated because they have a heavenly life. We are fortunate here in that we have a mixture. Sometimes we have heavenly delights and sometimes we have hellish conditions that we have to endure. That's actually good for us. We can, we can, actually, we can, if we study carefully our life, we can see that, materially speaking, as good as it gets is as bad as it will get also. Don't ride too high on your material highs. You shouldn't stand. Oh, they will balance out. and There will be a low end also that I'll have to experience. One should not live his life like this. In pursuit of material happiness and conversely, in an attempt to avoid material distress. Some material happiness will come to us and some distress will come. That's for sure. Rather, we should pursue, what is that verse? Tasyaiva, Hetu, Kovida. 
we should pursue something that which is lasting and enduring, enduring sense of fulfillment. Whole world is moving like this to avoid distress and find material happiness. They don't know that the very pursuit of material happiness is causing material distress. One is fueling the other. Krishna says a nice thing in the Gita in this regard. In two words he says, Dukalayamashashvatam. He has talked about the material world. Dukalayamashashvatam. He says it's really kind of miserable. Dukalayam, full of misery, material existence. And if someone should object and say, well, I kind of like it. There's a lot of good things here in this plane of experience. Then he says, well, ashashvatam. You can't keep them. Now, how do you like it? <laughs> it's all the word. The more you like it, the worse it is. You cannot keep it. It sounds a little negative in one sense, but it's realistic. And it doesn't end there. Unless the illusion of material life can be smashed, then the optimistic prospect that life holds for us beyond material pursuit will not be seen. If we simply talk about the spiritual prospect and don't talk about the necessity to dissolve the illusory prospect that material life holds for us and the trouble that may cause us by foregoing certain things with knowledge that, hmm, although they feel good, they are not good for me. If we don't stress on both sides, if we only talk about the spiritual side, and we won't... Uh, and it, it's nice to do that. People like to hear about it. I can speak beautifully and poetically about ultimate reality, and everyone will like it very much. But then if I start to speak about how to go there, people will have something else to do. Mm. You understand? Well, that's just, I'm a little busy. Uh, it's a, uh, Love, after all, has as its, um, at its foundation, sacrifice. So sacrifice, that doesn't sound as good as love. But love comes out of sacrifice. Love is based on a sacrifice. And when the sacrifice is done willingly and joyfully, we call it love, then it's not felt. You understand? Then you don't feel the pain of that. So, so really the full measure of sacrifice is love. So if we look deeply at love, we see, oh, to, to, just like art and music, art and music. Dilalita, our host, is, is, a, is a very um, uh, proficient artist. So all these, so many paintings she's painted in the house, if you look around. Very good artist. So sometimes we look at art and we think, well, she just got that natural talent. She's just wish I just had that talent and I could just just paint like that. So we hear the musician, we think, well, he or she, they just have that special magic to be able to do that. But if we look closely, we find, oh, there's some math behind that art and, and that music. 
and some uh, much effort and again there's some knowledge that underlies that that beauty that expression of love and so forth hmm? so love sacrifice they go together some work is involved some effort it's not that she just has the talent and just paints it looks like that there's some work that was involved some sacrifice some study some tedious long hours and so forth so it is with uh, real love spiritual love there must be some sacrifice some practice involved so and much of that in the beginning involves foregoing things that are not conducive to my spiritual practice. So some, now we are a little sick. We can't eat the feast. First we have to fast. We have to have restrict our diet to some extent. Then when we become healthy, then we can eat the feast, something like that. Still, while fasting, some food will be there. Some food certain types of food. So in this way, love is ultimately about sacrifice. We should be prepared to make some, some, some effort to achieve the highest ideal, highest goal. This is not a, uh, a cheap thing. If we hear about it, we are attracted by that, we hear enough about it, then we should we should we will develop the resolve and affinity to do whatever is necessary to arrive there. So Krishna, difficult to understand, Indra didn't understand him. He sent the rain. Krishna lifted the mountain, but then he started to rethink. What have I done? And who is Krishna? He started to analyze some depth. And he realized, oh, I've made a big error here. And so he came to apologize. And he wondered how he would apologize. He went to Brahma, the creator, and said, you know, I made this mistake. And I understand that previously you made a mistake also in relation to Krishna. You misunderstood him. That's another story. So he sought Brahma's advice. Brahma said, well, I made a mistake, but not like you. <laughs> he tried to kill his cows. I mean, I misunderstood him, but I don't know what to say to you. So he suggested, go to Surabi. Surabi is like the, the, the uh, mother of all cows. Surabi, who gives un- limitless milk. Who gives... Uh, from whose udder you can get anything. Something like that. You see, cows are uh, always involved in the lila of Krishna. And one of the reasons is because they're givers. Of all animals, the cows are the most giving for nothing. See what they give. You don't even need to provide grass. They find something. I go to the feed store, we have cows at our monastery, go to the feed store, I always look for the best feed, best alfalfa, something like that. Then they say, what are you feeding horses? I said, no, cats. And they said, cat would say, take anything. Get this cheap stuff over here, they recommend. Take the cheapest stuff. You can get straw. It's only a few dollars a bale. Alfalfa can be $14 a bale. 
<laughs> or just turn them loose. Uh, eat from the trees and uh, weeds and, and what do they give? Milk. Nicely cared for. Then they give so much milk and from milk. It used to be in previous times in India that sages, they would live on milk alone. They would go from house to house on the plea of begging some milk, a quart of milk. And the householder would, who always had a cow would give the milk. Then the sage would sustain himself by drinking the milk and then sustain the householder by speaking about spiritual life. And off to the next house, next day. You have any milk? Oh, yes. You're a beggar. You have nothing. Take our milk. And then see his wealth that he shares. So we're all raised on milk. We know it has some value, especially in youth, time of nourishment. So cows are so giving. And from milk, there's so many things hidden in milk, hidden in cows, hidden in milk. Only the milk people know about that. Bhagavad Gita has sometimes been compared to milk. Krishna's milking the cow. What's in Bhagavad Gita? There are so many interpretations. There are political interpretations. There are sociological, social interpretations. There are psychological interpretations. There are spiritual interpretations and of different kinds, of different understanding. But it's like milk. If you really know, if you're a milk person, then so many things you can find in there. Inside of milk is yogurt, right? Butter. Inside of butter is ghee. You know ghee? Inside of butter is ghee. Butter, milk, yogurt, ghee, so many things hidden inside of that milk. So knows Bhagavad Gita very well, can turn that like milk and bring out so many things. This is Krishna speaking. And Krishna is giving the theory in Bhagavad Gita that underlies his life, the theoretical foundation that underlies his life of divine play that is found in the Bhagavat, where this story of Indra and Krishna comes from, that I'm telling you. Indra rethought. He took Brahma's advice. He went to Surabhi. He said, you come with me. I'm going to apologize to Krishna. I tried to kill his cows. You're a cow. Hmm. Maybe he, you know, he'll give me a second chance, something like that. So he went, and wonderful prayers were offered. Krishna, by this time, of course, range had stopped and put down the hill. He was with some friends, herding some cows. And he told his friends, wait here a second. I'm going to go over here. So they're waiting for him, looking a little bit at a distance. He didn't want to make it difficult for Indra to apologize. You know, if you have to apologize to a great person and he's surrounded by all of his friends, it's a little more difficult. So he gave him some space. Indra came and so many gods also came. This was a big thing, big event. So many gods came. And they offered so much praise and they all gave gifts. And Indra took the milk from Surabhi, that cow, and bathed Krishna in a kind of a, um, like a, it's called Abhishek, it's a special kind of bath. And then the Indra, who is, Indra means the chief of the gods, 
he crowned him, Krishna, and gave him the name Upendra or Govinda. It means the same thing. Upendra means Lord of Indra, Lord of the gods, God of the gods. And Govinda means, in one sense, the same thing, because Indra thought he had power over the cows of Krishna. Go means cows also, and Indra means, Govinda means who protects the cow, who can actually protect the cows, who can care for the innocent, who gives shelter to those who are givers, who embraces those who give and protects them. They give away everything. Who will protect them? If you give that away, what will your position be? Krishna says, Yoga Jemam Bahami Aham in Bhagavad Gita. Teshom Nityabhyuktanam Yoga Jemam Bahami Aham. That's me. I'm invisible to the eye of ordinary people. But those who give know me. They experience more by giving. They experience fullness by giving. It's mystical. If you give, you will get. And you will find in time that the giving is the getting. But can you show it to anybody? Look, this is what I got. Can you hold it up? I gave and I got this. We cannot even explain it. But it exists and we can experience it. So what to speak if this is true in ordinary giving, in any kind of giving? Giving will be determined by two things. How much it's actually giving, that means how much is lacking of any expectation of getting in the act of giving. And two, well, where it is given. Just like if a child is crying and you're babysitting, you don't know the child that well. And so you think, oh, she's hungry. So you give her food, but she's actually crying from indigestion. Then your giving is not the full giving. <laughs> There's some problem there. So some knowledge is required. Where to give, how to give, what's the best place to give. So two things. Knowledge where to give, the tattva, and bhava, the feeling, without any getting expected in my spirit of giving. So people who give proportionate to the extent they actually give, the mystery of life is that they get. Because it's not logical, reasonable, that by giving you will get. Life is not reasonable. It transcends reason. Life, I mean reality. How the world really works is mystical. And it is in very simply put, by giving you get. Giving is getting. It's kind of a Zen cone if you will, by giving, getting, think about it, giving is getting, giving is getting, give and live, give to live, something like that, just the opposite of how it would appear, and therefore we're constantly on the take, and even when we do give, we attach some giving to that, at least I want some recognition that I gave, I don't want anything, just put my name in lights. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> just that. No, not even that. Real giving doesn't involve that. Who's really giving is getting. 
And that is a petty thing. That is an undesirable thing. Mahaprabhu Sri Chaitanya taught us that, that we should we should give respect to others and expect no respect for ourselves. He said, in practice of spiritual, in practicing life, this should be cultivated. Giving honor to others, expecting no honor for myself. And if practice borders perfection, nadanam najanam, he said, you will come to this, najanam. One thing is to practice giving up, getting honor. Another thing is to actually realize what it is, how undesirable it is. We can reasonably talk about it and go, yes, it's, un- it's, it's not a good thing. It's, it's, it's uh, some subtle form of selfishness. But we still want it. We still think it has some, we still think practically it has some value. So we may cultivate giving it up. But then we'll, one will come to a stage where he actually realizes, <laughs> it's, I have no interest in it whatsoever. When one comes to this stage, well, then his bhakti, his devotion becomes shuddha, shuddha, pure. Nadhyanam, nadhanam, nadhyanam, nasundarim, kovitam ba jagadish kamaye, mama janmane janmanishpare, bhavatat bhakti, haetu kitai. So Krishna, Govinda, protect those cows. They're givers. You provide little grass, and what do they give? In, 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 not only milk, but even the dung of the cow is so useful. Do you know that? Yeah. In India, they make houses out of it. And it's not like the excrement of other animals like ourselves that attract flies. It, it repels flies, the dry, the dry paddy. It's like an insulation also. They cook with it. It's uh, not a fossil fuel. You can make gas from it. Methane gas. We're working on that in our monastery. Very useful substance. It means even after the cow cannot give any more milk, just keep her. And you can collect the, the cow dung. And so many things can be done with that. And it has antiseptic qualities also can be used for healing wounds and things. (laughs) Very miraculous. So these cows are prominent in Krishna Leela because they represent very much giving. And it means Govinda, Gopal, means who protects cows. He protects those who give. Those who give. We'll wonder who would protect them. They're giving up everything. Who's taking care of them? Krishna says in Gita, that's me. I protect them. I'm invisible, but not to them. To you I may be. But if you stop, come off the take and become a giver, then you'll see me also. (laughs) I'm there. He says in Gita in another place that I'm the supreme enjoyer. What is that verse? Bhuktaram jagatapasam sarvaloko maheshwaram I am, I am the, the enjoyer of everything. Everything belongs to me. When we hear that, we think, nothing for me to enjoy, nothing for me to own. That's a little difficult to swallow. He says, I can't help but it's a fact. I am the enjoyer. Everything belongs to me. But then he says, Suridam Sarvabhutanam 
But if you accept it, then I, then you know me. On, you come to know me on friendly terms. So suddenly, from thinking, oh, I'm not the enjoyer of anything. Nothing is for my enjoyment. Nothing for me to own. I have no position. Suddenly, I become the friend of the p- person who owns everything, who's the supreme enjoyer. My position has become so great, without making any effort to own or to enjoy. I'm just associated with closely, intimately. I live in a house of one who owns everything, who's the supreme enjoyer. So Krishna, <coughs> Govinda, Gopal, protecting those cows. Indra thought he could dis- destroy those cows. Indra was, was on the take. He didn't understand the nature of the giving that Krishna was teaching about. But he learned something in this. Oh. So he came and he apologized. He bathed Krishna with the milk of the surabi. He coronated him as the king of the gods. Govinda means like that. King of the gods. And Upendra, same idea. King of the, king of the, even above Indra. So Indra was making the statement. And all the other gods, like Shiva, were there. And they were all just liking it very much. They were saying, yes, it's a fact. Each gave a gift. Shiva gave the flute. Bamboo flute. Now, we're talking about faith. That's why I began this discussion and how it's important. It's the entry, entry, uh, the doorway to the path of bhakti. Not by intellect, not by any physical prowess, but by shraddha, divine faith. What does this have to do with faith? I told that I would explain faith from the point of view of our tradition. This story has much to do with that. In Bhagavad Gita, Krishna explains faith. In the 17th chapter, he says, Shraddhumayo ayam purushaha. He says, actually, a person is their faith. He's telling us that faith is a tangible reality. People think that faith is a departure from reason. Oh, well, anyway, that's your faith. It is a departure from reason, but it's a well-reasoned departure. Hmm? (laughs) From the limitations of reasoning, the power to know with intellect alone is limited. After a very well-reasoned discussion, argument in Bhagavad Gita, 18 chapters. Krishna has analyzed many different types of approaches to solving the problems of life. Arjuna had a problem. Krishna gave very, talked about it from many different angles, many different types of approaches. After that well-reasoned argument, he told Arjuna, Hmm? He said, the conclusion of all this is, all types of dharma, forget it. With every type of dharma, every type of yoga, and the corresponding deed, he said, just forget all that stuff. And, just take shelter of me. Me only, me exclusively. He said, do that. And don't worry, he said. Well, life is all about worrying, material life, he said. And don't worry. 
That's how the Gita began, actually, in second chapter. Krishna begins speaking to Arjuna. He says, you worry too much. And in the end he says, now I've actually explained to you why you shouldn't worry. Take shelter of me. It's a long, of course, but I want to say it's well-reasoned, the conclusion that he came to. You have to study it in Bhagavad Gita. But the conclusion is, just take shelter of me. Very well-reasoned. And this is called saranagati, surrender. And this is synonymous with shraddha, what we call faith. The idea, the sense, the feeling that simply by taking shelter of Krishna, my life will be perfect. What does this have to do with the story of Krishna's getting the flute and being coronated and so forth? Oh, it has much to do with that. In that little, all the gods are saying the same thing. You follow me? Indra is saying, yes, here is the god of gods. This is it. I misunderstood. He's simply playing. And I'm thinking, I'm so powerful. Without grains, no one can eat. No one can sustain their body. And grains are dependent upon rain. Rain comes from me. Just see my position. But there's life beyond the necessity to eat. What about that? Will food, for that matter, ever stop hunger? No. We could do a good work. We could give in that regard. Give to the hungry people. But with a little knowledge we could understand they will never stop hunger. I'll be hungry doing it. And as soon as they finished, again hunger will come. All the problems of life are symptoms to one disease. And what uh, taking shelter of Krishna is about is about curing the disease in a comprehensive way. All the symptoms will go away. Hunger is not a is not a body problem. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a conceptual orientation. The very thought that I am the body that is a mistaken idea. I have needs because of my identification with it. But it is I, we that are animating this body and giving this combination of matter apparent life. We are the experiencer. Matter is experienced. When we lend our life to matter, it's, it becomes an experience, otherwise not. Consciousness and matter, this combination makes up the world of our present experience. Now, which is more important? I ask you, without consciousness, does matter matter? Do you follow me? If it did matter, independently of consciousness, who would know about it? <laughs> who would care? We are consciousness, not matter. Where should our concern be placed? Simply in meeting the needs of this body, which the more, the more we, with which we identify, the more they increase. To move away in a systematic way from that identification, this is yoga. Can I do all at once? We have to be weaned from that, like a calf from a cow, gradually. But that is yoga, and other good guidance. We can find a life beyond the demands of eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. Freedom, in other words, real life.
So all the gods at this in this story, they acknowledged this is Krishna's position. Indra said, I'm chief of the gods. I, for, I misunderstood. Looked like he was just some village person. But this is actually Parabrahma, Purna Brahma, playing and therefore appearing in this shape. And so it was established at that point what is the position of Krishna by all the gods that Krishna will say it in the Gita. They are saying it themselves. We may object as a worshipper of one of those gods or goddesses with some lesser idea, worship a god or a goddess to get something for me here, now, make my life work better in this world. It's not a bad idea, but it's not a comprehensive solution to the problem. So people on that level may complain, why is it Krishna? Why not Indra? This one, that one. We have to tell them, ask, ask Indra. Ask Shiva. <laughs> you ask them. If you get very close to them, they'll tell you. Oh, actually, you know, there's a story, there's a song. Bajahude mana shri nanda nandana avhai charanara vindure. The song about Krishna. It was composed by a devotee of Durga. You know Durga? Durga is the goddess um, Kali. And so he was worshipping goddess Kali, but he had an aspiration in his heart that Kali could not fulfill. But he was very devoted to her. So she said, you know something? I like you. Of all my devotees, I like you very much. Uh, What you want, that's really worth wanting. People approach me for so many things, and I give it. But they have no real idea of what's, what's valuable. This is my position. I'm the goddess of this and that, so I give that. Mm -hmm. But what you want, I sense in your heart. I send you to Govinda for that. This song came from that. Oh, my dear mind, just give yourself to Krishna, to Govinda. So the goddess inspired him. You become good. You should. You should go to Krishna. What you want. You want to comp- like my Guru Maharaj once said, not everybody needs a guru. He would say often, need a guru, need a guru. Once he said, not everyone needs a guru. Only people who want a comprehensive solution to the problem of life. In other words, don't come to me, he's saying, for something less than that. To solve this problem, that problem for you. Those problems are all symptomatic of the real problem. And I'm going to give you a solution to that. It's a bitter pill. It sounds sweet, but to swallow it is a little bit of a bitter pill. So you should be prepared for that. <laughs> so all the gods and goddesses, they crowned Krishna as a king. Now, <clears throat> we heard in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is talking about Shraddha here. Entry into the path of bhakti. Just understand this. Well-reasoned as it is, have this kind of sense, faith, this kind of feeling. Faith is kind of a feeling. We are a feeling. We are a feeling. We are a unit of feeling, potential. So have this feeling simply by taking shelter of me. All, all, 
life's problems will be solved. You can, every, all wealth will come from this. He says this in the Gita. Gita, I said, is like the background, the, the theory for the life of Krishna depicted in the Bhagavad. In Bhagavad, what does it say? Dharma Projita Kaitagotra Paramodhimatsaranam Satam. In the very beginning, same thing. So this book is not about any kind of Dharma, Dharma Projita Kaitava. That is, involves some cheating, some business, some negotiating. I'll give if I get this. I'll give if I get that. He says, this book is not about that. Krishna Lila, Lila has nothing to do with that. Dharma Projita Kaitavota. It rejects wholesale. Kaitav Dharma. It means literally cheating religion. And it includes not only bargaining with God. I'll give, you give me this, for material gain and betterment. But even if I give myself to you, you give me salvation. Have we got a deal? Not even that. No interest in, in even salvation. But only in giving itself, in which all that you could possibly get materially is found, and full freedom and salvation is found as byproducts of that. But if you want either of them, if you want material acquisition or you want salvation, then you won't have bhakti, devotion, proper, in the real full sense of the term, and you won't get Krishna. You can get what he can give. He can give liberation. He can give material. He can give you the position of Indra in heaven. You can become a god like that. But as we've heard, it's not that desirable. <laughs> if you approach a great person, a powerful, knowledgeable, and wealthy person, but you want something that he has, will he give himself entirely to you? He may give something to get rid of you. But if you come and he finds you don't want anything, what will he give you? He'll give you the keys to his house. Everything. So again, this selfless giving, this is what um, Krishna Bhakti is about. Selfless giving and with knowledge in the right place. Because Krishna is the supreme enjoyer, what is the implication of that? That's the perfect fit for us. If we've learned that life is about giving, what have we found? The perfect place to give. Who can take unlimitedly? Who can take unlimitedly? That person is the proper center to which we should give because we have a capacity to give without limit. So this story tells us through the God's own actions and words what is the position of Krishna. What he has said in the Gita, which is a well-reasoned conclusion. Bhagavatam, this Bhagavad Purana is beginning with the same idea and deep within Bhagavad Purana in the 11th canto we hear something very practical for us. Because Krishna spoke Bhagavad Gita a long time ago, and Bhagavad, which records his Leela as exhibited on earth, that was also a long time ago. We live now. How can we access these things? This understanding that we're getting from this discussion, where does it come from? All these things about Krishna. After all, as I said, he's difficult to understand. Even the gods become confused. So where has this understanding come from? Who is Krishna? Why Krishna? Why only Krishna? 
why exclusive devotion to Krishna is, is inclusive, so inclusive, all-inclusive. Where this understanding comes from? It's found in Bhagavatam. Krishna Varnam Tisa Krishna Sangopangasta Parshadam Yajnaisan Kirtana Prayer Yajantihi Sumedasaha It is said there. Beginning of that book, Bhagavatam, it says, Satyam Param Dhimahi One should meditate in a, a meditation of giving one's heart to Satyam Param, the Supreme Truth. And the implication is that one should do it constantly. Much later in Bhagavatam, this verse comes, Krishna Varnam Tisakrishnam Sangopangastra Parshadam Yagnai Sankirtana Praya Yajantihi Sumedasa Then Jayam Sada Paribhavdam Abhishtadoha This is describing Sri Chaitanya. Who is Krishna came, he did wonderful things. He performed his lila, like lifting that hill, all these kind of stories in Bhagavatam. These are mystic experiences of great souls. They record these instances as if they are appearing right on earth. That is their experience. And they're rich, valuable, instructive in so many ways. But they're so mystical that only if Krishna himself explains the implications of them will we be able to understand them. So he does. This is the idea of Sri Chaitanya. After Krishna comes and disappears... Kali Yuga comes, the present age in which we live. And Krishna makes encore appearance as Sri Chaitanya. And this verse I cited from Bhagavatam speaks about that. And it says, Deyam Sada, you can do Satyam Param Dimahi constantly. Deyam means Dimahi, Sada means always. How? By singing his name, because there are no rules to that. You can sing anywhere, at any time. He said, even while eating, even while sleeping. And you will get benefit. Such is the power of Krishna, Krishna Kirtan. It is the means to access that life of Krishna and the, and the, and the, the eligibility to begin the chanting is faith. Shraddha. And that faith, that simply by taking the name of Krishna, this will be my only mantra, my life can become perfect. That faith, it is said that at the time of Chaitanya, his associate, other self, if you will, Nitananda Prabhu, he set up a place, a marketplace, in the island of Godrum, which is an, one of nine islands in, in Nabadweep, West Bengal, where Chaitanya appeared 500 years ago. Sound like a long time, but no. Spiritually speaking, we are only what? There's only a few people between us and that Leela. Krishna came a long time ago, performed his Leela. But Krishna comes as devotee of himself in disguise, trying to taste the love of Radha, only 500 years ago. Now, 500 years sounds like a long time too. But there are only about six people between us and Chaitanya. Six or eight people. That's not far, right? If you're only six or eight people from a great person, you'll think I'm pretty close. Mm-hmm. Hmm? So what do I mean by that? That is called Guru Parampara. Guru Parampara means a succession of, of saints, of, of teachers. Chaitanya, then his students, Rupa Sanatan, these Goswamis in succession. From them, 
Krishnadas Kaviraj, who wrote the, the biography of Chaitanya, and a few others, a few others, and we arrive here in the succession. Only a few people between us and him. Not ordinary people. They have a big idea. It can span much greater distance than years and miles. By coming in touch with them, their consciousness, we become close, so close to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And getting close to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu means coming close to Krishna, very close to Krishna. This is the secret. And Itananda Prabhu, he so much wanted to see that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would be understood. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to help us understand Krishna. Itananda Prabhu came with him to make sure that everyone understood Chaitanya. <laughs> so they could understand Krishna. So he set up a marketplace in Godrum, one of the nine islands on the delta of the Ganga, the Ganges, where she, where she empties out into the Bay of Bengal, beginning her, her journey in the Himalayas, where Vyas, the legendary Vyas, wrote the Bhagwat about the story of Krishna. He recorded that after writing everything else, after writing the Upanishads, so many of them, at the writing the four Vedas, such a large body, of liter- it is the most voluminous body of literature on earth. This uh, we call Vedic literature, to give a general term to that. Thousands and thousands and thousands of verses. The Vedas, the Upanishads, Mahabharat, which is, is, is an uh, epic, larger than the Iliad and the Odyssey uh, combined. Ramayana, hmm, through assistance, all these things written. Gita, then he wrote Bhagavatam in his mature stage. That it was all over. So what is all this all about? What's the concordance of all this? All these things I've written. Under the advice of Nard, his guru, he sat and meditated, and all this thing came in his heart. The Leela of Krishna. He wrote about it in Bhagavatam. In the Himalayas, on the bank of Saraswati, which has connection with the Ganga at Bengal. Saraswati is also coming there. The Ganga is coming there, merging and entering into the, into, the, into the ocean, getting fulfillment. The life of Krishna was recorded high in the Himalayas and, and, and the, the, the personification of the teaching by which to fully understand that appears at the at Bay of Bengal. On the island of Godrum, each of these islands represents one of the nine principal aspects of uh, expressions of bhakti. Like hearing is one, now we're hearing, and I'm chanting. Shravanam means hearing, Kirtanam means chanting. Smaranam means meditating. Shravanam, Kirtanam, Smaranam, there are nine of them, things that we do. Our main emphasis on kirtanam. Because of all these kinds of bhakti, in Kali Yuga, in this age, kirtan is given the strong position, the highest position. We see it practically even in secular life. If people take to the streets in mass chanting, governments will topple. This is a, 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 a kind of a, a reflection of this idea. That in Kali Yuga, coming together in a group, in a mass, joint prayer, joint meditation, and out loud even, this will be very effective in bringing about change. And spiritual life 
is about change. We have to change. After all, we're not that happy. <laughs> Maybe we want to change something. Hmm? How happy do we want to be? No limit. Now our hairs are not standing on end in ecstasy at every moment, but such life is possible. So we should be willing to make some changes. After all, we want to be that happy. Now if some advice says comes to us how we can be that happy, even if it requires some change in our life, we should be happy to undergo that. So kirtan, our main practice. And in order to take part in that kirtan, that chanting of Krishna Nam, faith is required. Faith in what is the position of Krishna, that we can sing his name and think, yeah, simple as it seems, and it's not hard. I need to do nothing else. This is the sum and substance of all spiritual practice. Again, Chaitanya reasoned, what's in a name? Quite a bit. As I mentioned last night, they used to say, did you get his name? If you got his name, then you can catch him. And nowadays, as I said last night, it's the social security number, so that's your name. If you get their social security number, you've got their identity. you got their identity, you've got them. You can take over their whole life, right? If somebody gets your social security number, you don't want to give it out. They can take over your whole life. So Krishna Nam, if you get the name of Krishna, you can get Krishna fully. Like Radha has taken over his life, you can take over his life. This is a very high idea. You can take over the life of the Absolute. He reaches to touch the feet of Radha, bows to love. And this singing, Krishna, Krishna, that is a love. Krishna, Krishna. Of course, again, to do it right, then there's some sacrifice involved. Certain things we should forego. We'll find out they're not favorable for this. Oh, I let that go. Even if it would please my senses, but it's not favorable for this, I let it go. And if it's favorable for this, but I don't like it, I'll accept it anyway. Like we rise early in the morning. It's not that it's comfortable to get up early in the morning, but it's good for bhakti. It's good for chanting Krishna Nam. Nobody else is up. Everyone else in the world is quiet, asleep. As soon as the sun comes, then comes also, in my mind, so many things to do, so many things I have to do. No time for chanting. So get up very early, and you find there's nothing else to do. Hmm? Darn it. <laughs> I guess I'll chant. And spend your time like that in the morning, very early. You look at the whole day differently. So in Godrum, in this island that represents Kirtan, Nityananda, who wanted to make the significance of Chaitanya's appearance known, he set up a marketplace. Where? In Godrum. But where in Godrum? At a place called Surabikunj. Now, do you remember the word Surabi? I used it earlier. Cow. That's that cow. Yes. Just as Chaitanya is Krishna, but in disguise, as a devotee of himself. So when Chaitanya appears, so many things related with Krishna also appear. All the stories of Krishna, the Leelas, they also appear. And slightly, just slightly different. But nowhere can see, oh, just see. 
This is Krishna. When Chaitanya comes, Radha comes. Ram comes. So all of Krishna's associates come. They don't even know who, that, who they are. They realize, he's Krishna. Where are his associates? And they realize, that's us. We've come too. So Surabhi's there in Godrum at Surabhi Kunj. He set up a place where that giving cow of plenty is represented in the Leela of Chaitanya. And from that place, he's selling Krishna Nam to all takers. And what is the price? Shraddha, faith only. Faith, again, this is our discussion this morning, is a very um, tangible thing. It's invisible, but very tangible. And there may be blind faith, but if there is, that must mean there must be seeing faith also. And seeing faith is that kind of illumination that in the very minimal, very minimum, allows us to see how dim of a light is the intellect. What a dim light. If you try to know everything by intellect, you will get some light, but it will be very dim. It will not be a very cheerful atmosphere in a dimly lit room. It's not a cheerful atmosphere. Leading a life ruled by intellect, well, then you may move to some extent from animality, thinking, reasoning well, simply pursuing things that are here today and gone tomorrow is not very smart. So some, that's some light, in other words. That's true. But it's dim lit. You'll get some peace from that. But what is peace in relation to joy? The full measure of peace, really, that is like a truce. You're making a truce. The war is stopped, but the war, the battle between my mind and senses and sense objects, sense objects are making their advance. My senses are succumbing to that. It's like a war. So with intellect, we can, we can make a truce. But a truce is only an interim kind of stage. When there's happy commerce and interaction, when we can interact with objects of senses without any negative implications, that's real life. We interact with sense objects because of attachment, so we misunderstand what they are. But when we have proper understanding of what they are, we can interact with them in such a way as to bring about real happy life. They are Everything belongs to Krishna. So to use everything for the satisfaction of Krishna. This is, a, this is how to live in the world and be fully, apparently fully involved in it, but, but not touched by it. Like a lotus on the water stays dry above the water. So faith in the minimum, as I said, real faith, where we get that, who has that, can give that. It's contagious. If we keep that company of such people, they will give the reasoning of faith to us. After all, now we speak the language of reasoning, at least we hope. Right? This is the language of humans. They're said to be rational animals. So the universal human, human language is, is reasoning. So I speak to you in a reasonable way. 
I'm using the language of logic. But actually, human life is meant for something more than that. It's not meant for just speaking the language of reasoning. It's meant for speaking the language of love, actually. In human life, we get the chance to give. Do you realize that? In no other form of life can we really give fully, consciously, voluntarily. In nature, animals are also giving to their children, but it's not very well thought out, is it? It just kind of happens. When consciousness, when the soul gets a human form of life, it's a rare opportunity. There's only a handful of us here, humans, in the city of Santa Rosa, talking about these things. On the end of my finger, there are so many microscopic beings, germs, consciousness in all of those bodies, more than in the, in the whole planet, perhaps, of humans. Human life is very rare. And it gives us a rare opportunity to do something voluntarily. In other words, when a soul gets a human form of life, the influence of material nature upon it slackens to a certain extent. Something called intellect arises and we can, we can know that we are. Do you understand? We can know. What did he say? Cogito ergo sum. We can know that at this point, this juncture, human life, nature wakes up to the fact that it has a soul. There's something more than matter going on here. And it's me. I exist. And to what extent? I'm different from matter. And that means in an enduring sense. The extent to which we exist, we don't know. Therefore, we fear. If we knew, we'd have no fear. And then... We would not be on the take, but it would be apparent. We live to give, forgiving, by giving, forgiving. A person who has this kind of divine faith means has experience. I don't mean belief. That is, uh, in the realm of intellect, belief. But faith, a kind of knowing that removes doubt, that makes one happy. They will not be broken by circumstances. There's a world of doubt. No doubt about it. We live there. So, there's a world of faith also. What is that? Happy place. No doubts. Free movement. Free movement. Intellect's not required there. Intellect is a precautionary measure. If I move by intellect, I proceed with caution. If I go to a foreign land, I want to eat something, I'm going to look very carefully what's on the bottle, what's in here. What do they eat in this country? Is it edible? Even in this country, we might want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> right? But if you're at home, then those who love you say, eat. You don't say, you don't say why? What's in it? Why are you ordering me? There's affection behind it, love, in other words, in home, in the real home. 
So heart, home is in heart, actually. And for home going, we need a home knowing person. Home knowing person is a bearer of that kind of faith, of that home, heartland, homeland of the heart. Such a person's company that will foster faith, that is contagious. We'll get that, that feeling, that sense. And while we can't hold it up and show it to anybody, our life will demonstrate it. Our life will become freer, happier. We'll be an example for others. In this way, others will also participate. In this way, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching about Krishna should go on. Not by some kind of propaganda of fear, what will happen to you if you don't do this, and, but just by those who experience it, overflowing. So we held our kirtan program last night at Govinda's for that purpose. As I said, we do that at our ashram, our monastery. So we come here and do it also. And if that overflow of our experience, if that touches people, then we have something in common. We should stay together and, uh, and, and churn that. So I'm happy that some of you have come from last night here. I'd like to meet all of you. What is your good name? Jerry. Jerry. And you live here in Santa Rosa? Yes. And sir? Steve, I live in Santa Rosa. Okay. Deborah, I live in Santa Rosa. Nicole, I live in Santa Rosa. And? Alice, I live in Kaiserville. Kaiserville. And some others? Yes? Shashi, I live in Santa Rosa. What part of India you're from? I'm from India, Punjab. Punjab. Mm. And then some of you others I've met before. Mm. Right. Well, I'm very pleased to meet you. We are, in, we are um, and I invite you also next week. Next week we're having a festival at our monastery. You can come if you like. People will arrive on Thursday evening, and then it will be Friday and Saturday. Talks like this, three or four of them in a day, and a lot of chanting. And prashad, you know, very nice prashad, three times a day, feast. And we'll be discussing one one particular lila um, of Chaitanya, very significant. People are coming from different parts of the world, also some people from Europe and other parts of this country. Our monastery is a little crude. We live in the forest there. It's very beautiful, but um, you have to bring a tent if you want to come. And it's a nice area, tenting, and nice bathing facilities and all as well. There will be many devotees of Krishna coming. So if you're a little ambitious and courageous, you, you can come. And some of the some of the devotees who live here, they can tell you how to go there. It's not far, about an hour and a half from here. So people will be arriving Thursday night, and then and officially begins Friday morning at 5 a.m. Goes from 5 a.m. till 8 p.m. Then starts again the next morning, probably until 8 p.m. And then the following morning on Sunday, we will all go to San Francisco. And we have a big festival in San Francisco chanting about 500 people. And 
So anyway, it's called Rathyatra. If you want to come, I invite you. So, any question? Anyone have any question about anything? Have you read any of my books? Me? Nicole? Um, I'm starting to read your Bhagavad Gita. Oh, yeah. that's a big undertaking. Yeah, with Dharavita, I've been coming to her studies on Wednesday. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. So, let us um, sing. Sing a little bit, chant a little bit. We'll offer the food to Krishna, then take some meal, and then if we have any questions at that time, you can express them. Others are learned here, they can help you. Hare Krishna. Sri Sri Bhavanitananda Ki Jai, Gorgadadhar Ki Jai, Sri Guri Vaishnav, Guru Parampara Ki Jai, Gorgadabrinda Ki Jai, Harinam Prabhu Ki Jai, Gorgadabrinda Ki Jai,